1: You are Locked On Redskins, your daily Washington Redskins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team team. every day. day, day,
0: day. It is episode number 267 of the Locked On Redskins podcast. Good to have you with us. I am your host, Chris Russell. Coming up on today's show, we will indeed get to our Redskins defensive line unit preview pre-training camp style. As well, we're going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, go figure. They're having salary cap concerns, issues, and contract demands for their various superstars, including one very controversial superstar. We'll get into that. For those of you that are familiar with uh, Washington, D.C., and, of course, uh, know the ongoing search for a Redskins new stadium, which we've addressed several times here, with the clock starting to now tick, 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 and it being 2019, and the Redskins, uh, you know, they still have plenty of time on their lease at FedEx Field. On 106.7 The Fan, uh, over the weekend, my co-host, Tom Levero, who also writes for The Washington Times, um, sent me this story, and we didn't get to talk about it, but I did want to bring it up uh, to you here on the Locked on Redskins podcast. There is this battle in the the government uh, of Washington, D.C. over whether or not they have the funds, of course, to help fund and build a new stadium, whether it's the right thing to do, the location at the old RFK stadium site, uh, whether that's the best thing to do for the community, traffic, all that stuff. There's the normal battle. But the Redskins seem seem to be down to Washington, D.C. as the only right now legitimate option based on the fact that they don't want to pay for much of the stadium. Uh, if, quite honestly, anything at all. I think the Redskins would prefer to have a sweetheart deal and have everyone build it for them, and I don't think they understand that that's likely not going to happen. Uh, however, however... Um, there seems to be and seems to have been some progress made in Washington, D.C., again, to potentially build a new facility on their old stomping grounds at RFK Stadium. Now, RFK Stadium would have to be knocked down, demolished, and then a new stadium rebuilt. They're not going to, you know, remodel RFK Stadium um, unless there's some sort of structural engineering type way that they can keep some of the f- of of the structure, uh, and then basically build a new stadium around that. But again, there's a lot of politics involved here, uh, so so just bear with me here. If the Redskins, because Maryland seemingly for now has pulled out of uh, any sort of negotiation for land uh, that the Redskins were potentially looking at. Near the MGM National Harbor, for those of you that are familiar with Southern Maryland, just over the DC border and the Woodrow Wilson Bridge, because they pulled out, and because the Commonwealth of Virginia, which is where the Redskins originally intended to build and go and centralize their headquarters, uh, with the deal with Richmond and Redskins Park and so on and so forth, and they were looking at Loudoun County, which is their current day-to-day home, as a potential new spot with. The Commonwealth of Virginia seemingly out of it because they're under Democratic control. And I'm not making that I'm trying not to make this too political uh, because I don't even understand it all. It left them with basically trying to reinvigorate the fan base and reconnect the nostalgia of being again at the old RFK site. It'll never be the same. Obviously, we all understand that. But uh, I would agree it is the most centralized location and probably the best choice all things considered. However, one of the chief supporters, proponents, backers uh, of the Redskins and getting a stadium deal done at RFK, from what I understand and what Tom Levero, again, my co-host, mentioned to me was D.C. Councilmember Jack Evans, who is the chairman of the Committee on Finance and Revenue, right? If the Redskins lose a guy like Jack Evans, if, uh, and again, he's under scrutiny for private consulting that he did for companies, with the Redskins could lose, again, one of their chief proponents and a guy who has made deals and a guy who's been very instrumental in making deals and moving forward in terms of getting a new stadium. Now, they have Muro, Bowser who's the Washington, D.C. mayor. She seems to be very pro-Redskins these days. Um, You do have the other situation currently right now. Donald Trump in office as the president of the United States. That certainly favors the Washington Redskins. But a deal has to get done. And the Redskins are starting to, again, run out of time. Jack Evans, for whatever reason, gets thrown in jail or completely kicked off the D.C. council. And again, it's, it would seem like the Redskins would be down to one location and one major supporter right now in Mayor Muriel Bowser. If the Redskins lose that leverage, that will be a significant blow to them, I think, building, rebuilding, remodeling, restructuring a new stadium deal at RFK Stadium. Again, doesn't eliminate it, but it puts it in more peril than it already is. There are some people, um, and again, I don't want to speak exactly for him, but he's very into this and opinionated, and I believe he wrote about it recently for The Washington Times. Uh, Tom Levero, again, uh, who was, you know, we were talking, obviously, before and during our show, and he said, look, he thinks the Redskins are going to build a new stadium on the current site of FedEx Field on the current footprint of FedEx Field. And what that means is building a new stadium while the current FedEx Field is still open and in use. So ideally, they would want it open, the new stadium, for 2028. And Tommy mentioned, hey, look, look at what they've done in Philadelphia where they took old stadiums like the Vet, where the Eagles and the Phillies used to play, and they built two new stadiums on the same stadium geographical footprint in the same area just in different locations so they kept the vet open for Eagles and Phillies games while they built a new ballpark Citizens Bank Park for the baseball team and Lincoln Financial Field for the Eagles okay that makes sense Giants uh, the Giants and Jets quite honestly uh, at the old Meadowlands site they have a new stadium MetLife Stadium a harness track plus They kept the old stadium open until the new stadium was ready to go. So all of that makes sense. I'm sure they can figure it out. I'm sure traffic would be an extra, extra, extra nightmare for the three years or so that they're building this new stadium. The problem with that is for right now, again, it seems like the governor, Larry Hogan of Maryland, has pulled out of any sort of deal for where the Redskins originally intended to look at and maybe concentrate and focus on, again, closer to D.C. than Landover, Maryland, uh, in a more advantageous and a more growth area, again, next to the MGM National Harbor. Um, And if that happened the way it did... And Hogan is serious about not doing business, at least right now with the Redskins, that could put a potential plan, a potential backup plan to build a new stadium at the FedEx field site in Landover in peril as well. The Redskins are running out of places to go. And if they expect a government, be it state, city, whatever, to fund a large part of a new stadium, good luck. And they are running out of options. They no longer have anywhere near the leverage that they used to. And I don't know if they realize this. I'd like to think that they realize it by now. But I'm telling you, five years ago, the Washington Redskins thought this was going to be easy. We're going to the Commonwealth of Virginia. We're going to Loudoun County. We're going to get a sweetheart deal. They're going to pay for most of it. Virginia loves us. Virginia needs us. No more. No more, at least for right now until something significant changes. And then they thought, well, we have D.C. and we have Southern Maryland and possible locations, different locations in Maryland, battling over wanting to keep us. Well, right now, it doesn't look like they really want to keep the Washington Redskins. Right now. Again, things could change. But the Redskins are running out of time. They're running out of options. They're running... They've already lost a ton of leverage because, quite honestly, they're not a desirable product at this point, and they're not a product that people want to bend over backwards for. It is a lot more complicated, I know for a fact, a lot more complicated than the Washington Redskins thought it was going to be. They thought they were going to have a sweetheart deal by now in place, ground broken perhaps, and where they could potentially, potentially consider potentially consider getting out of the FedEx field lease early maybe 2024, 2025, somewhere in that range. And from what I understand, somebody told me, uh, an ex-official, it was really, really cost prohibitive to break the FedEx field lease before the end of the 2024 season. So maybe it wouldn't have been until 2025 anyway. And maybe they're still on target because, again, if we're using this three-year window to build a new stadium, plus a year, year and a half roughly to get all the – details in order get all the approvals to get all the bonds to get all the funding to get all the approvals and the votes and whatever maybe we're still in that window where they can still do that wanted to take a timeout we'll come back with a defensive line uh, pre-training camp preview Uh, we did the secondary we did the outside and inside linebackers we'll complete the defense now we'll do the Redskins defensive line certainly the strength of the team We'll do that next on the Locked on Redskins podcast, episode number 267. Thanks for being with us.
1: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked on NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: It is episode number 267 of the Locked On Redskins podcast. Good to have you with us right here. I am your host, uh, Chris Russell. Uh, let's get to this. Um the Redskins defensive line preview um, is where we wanted to start and, and kind of go today uh, because it is, again, the best unit by far on this football team. Uh, there is no questions asked about that. You can talk about quarterback, you can talk about, uh, or the potential at quarterback, I guess. Uh, you can talk about the offensive line, assuming that Williams and Cher are a part of that, and we'll tackle that coming up in future episodes, but the defensive line is by far the strength of this football team. Here's the thing for the Redskins. We all know how good Jonathan Allen is, both physically and and as a leader, and that's a huge impact, but we also know that he does have a little bit of an injury concern slash history. Remember, he dropped from a top-five pick to number 17 overall because of concerns about arthritis in his shoulder. So far, it has not been a problem at all. uh, And the Redskins, so far, have looked very good. However, he did miss, with a freak injury, a Liz Frank foot fracture, he did miss most of his rookie year. So we do have to keep that in mind, that he hasn't played two full years. He's only played a year and five games. But he was terrific last year, in terms of staying healthy, leadership, pretty good at stopping the run for the most part. Although last six seven games the Redskins run defense absolutely wore down too much snap usage not enough depth on the defensive line and I think not only clearly did they stop struggle to stop the run but some of that was on the defensive line and because of the defensive line usage so they needed more depth and That's why I'm most excited about this particular group because, again, you have Jonathan Allen, you have Deron Payne, who is good at stopping the run, and as well, um, a better pass rusher than people think he is or thought he was coming out uh, of Alabama. And that was where I kind of hammered home the point of, I think this guy's going to help more from a pass rush perspective or as much from a pass rush perspective as he is from a run defense perspective. And I think people looked at him as being kind of a one-dimensional player or mostly a one-dimensional player. And I just didn't see that. And then there's Matt Ioannidis, who cleaned up a lot last year because Matt Ioannidis is a hard worker, is a multi-dimensional player. Um, has really good brute strength, and as well, and as well, benefits from playing next to Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen. So the bottom line is: is the Redskins starting three group—Allen, Payne, and Matt Ionatis, absolutely terrific. Uh, we can give you every number and every you know number statistic in the world in terms of sacks and pass rush producti- productivity. They are. They are. Now, can they get better? Of course. But here's how they're going to get better, at least in my opinion. The Redskins drafted Tim Settle in the fifth round last year. So he was a rookie last year, played some limited snaps, uh, but certainly worked his way into the rotation. He's going to be better in year two, where he's more comfortable, more used to how things work. And then on top of that, Caleb Brantley. Caleb Brantley didn't play really at all last year. was signed late in training camp, late in the preseason, because the Cleveland Browns cut him uh, in the cut down to fifty three. So he was completely out of sorts. He had to learn the system. He had to learn the terminology. He had to learn what the Redskins wanted him to do. He had to get. He got very limited work uh, with Jim Tom Sula, again prior to the regular season. Yes, he was on the fifty three. Uh, but again, he was not a meaningful contributor for much of last year, if really all of last year, because last year was a hey, we need to find out about you physically, mentally, emotionally, make sure that some of the issues that made you drop from a potential late first rounder, early second rounder a couple of years ago in the draft. Uh, what they're all about, and if we can count on you, and if we can depend on you, then we have to teach you the football stuff, and we have to make you a better football player. And I think with a year under his belt, Caleb Brantley, who looked very good at times during OTAs, and I'm not trying to make him out to be anything more than he is, he's probably just a rotational defensive lineman at this point, unless... The Redskins really, really hit gold here and really hit a diamond in the rough, found a diamond in the rough, uh, and because of the other talent around him, that only allows his abilities to explode onto the surface and onto the table even more, and that is entirely possible, right? If you bring in Caleb Brantley and mix him with uh, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne in certain packages... Why wouldn't he be better than if he was playing where he was originally drafted in the sixth round with the Cleveland Browns and playing with a bunch of 9-5 to Hammond Eggers? Um, if you're playing him with better talent and he's talented in and of himself because, again, he is talented. Again, he was thought to be in bottom part of the first round, early second round prospect when coming out in the draft and only slipped to the sixth round because of some legal issues, uh, some... Um, some off the field issues that certainly are a major, major, major concern, Um and, and you just have to hope that they don't rear uh, back up again and bubble up to the surface. If you take if you take Caleb Brantley and mix him in there as your top four with Deron Payne. Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis, and then, oh, by the way, again, Settle is your backup nose tackle? A guy who the Redskins drafted in the fifth round who they had a third round grade on? I mean, you're talking about the best defensive line in football, period. Oh, and by the way, Jim Tom Sula, who only came back here because the Redskins stopped screwing around with Greg Minuski and stopped interviewing other candidates. Trust me on this. Jim Tomsula is only here because of Greg Minuski. That's that's the only reason why he decided to stay, for those of you that dispute that. Because Jim Tomsula is back and is widely regarded as a top three defensive line coach, the Redskins are in terrific shape, even if they have to get more snaps out of Brantley and settled that doesn't mean that those guys are as good as Allen and Payne but it is a really good five-man rotation now the only question to me is if a those guys can stay healthy during training camp during the preseason uh, and here's the here's the other question do the Redskins just go with five defensive linemen and You know, practice squad, a guy like JoJo Wicker or whoever uh, might be, um, you know, making it through uh, camp. They have a bunch of bodies, guys like Jonathan Bonner and Andrew Ankra uh, and and all sorts of players like that. Um, Do they do they practice squad one of those guys or do they carry a six defensive lineman? I'm leaning, quite honestly, early in the season towards only going with five defensive linemen. I think Settle, Brantley, Ioannidis, Payne, Allen, assuming that they're all healthy, and that's a big assumption, got a long way to go for that, could be absolutely deep enough and good enough and versatile enough to carry the load early in the season. Now, maybe a couple of weeks into the season, you might have to do something different. That always happens. But I'm talking about out of the shoot on the initial 53-man roster. I'm thinking only five. This is the deepest group by far. This is the most talented unit by far on the Redskins, and it is one of the better coached, if not the best coached, unit. On the Washington Redskins, so I'm really excited about this group. I hope they stay healthy because the Redskins can kick uh, some ass on the defensive line and make this work and make a, 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 a secondary with some questions and quite honestly, an inside linebacker group with some questions a lot better if they can control the point of attack, stop the run more consistently better throughout a 16-game season and also contribute the type of pass rush that they did for much of 2018. All right, so that is our Redskins defensive line training camp preview, and we come back with a finishing word on Ezekiel Elliott and how that might factor into the Dallas Cowboys offense. (laughs) That's Tyler. I'm Chris. Good to have you aboard with us on the Locked on Redskins podcast, yeah, episode number two. Yeah,
1: my skin down with my dad, buddy, because I love him. <laughs> If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: All right, just a couple of minutes left here on the Locked On Redskins podcast. It is episode number 267. I'm your host, Chris Russell. Make sure you follow the podcast at Locked Redskins, at Locked Redskins, also at Locked On NFL Net. At locked on NFL net. We're going to have to save our Cowboys full offensive unit preview uh, for our next episode uh, because we have a couple of issues here that we have to address uh, that are, I think are more important. So we've talked from time to time about the Dak Prescott situation, the Amari Cooper situation, the Marcus Lawrence being signed to a big contract. Uh, the Cowboys have a very good young defense and group of linebackers uh, that, again, are on their rookie contracts, but eventually they're going to need to get paid. Leighton Vander Esch, Jalen Smith, who many thought was a top five pick, top three pick, maybe even a top overall pick a couple of years ago before blowing out his knee in his final college football game. But one of the most interesting and fascinating parts of the Cowboys is their contract situation. They made a trade for Amari Cooper. He has this year under a fifth-year option left to go. Dak Prescott has now finished three years of his NFL career. He was, again, originally a fourth-round pick, so he doesn't have that fifth-year option, and therefore the Cowboys only have him under contract for one more year. They could franchise tag him or Amari Cooper, certainly, uh, if they don't get long-term deals. And then they have Ezekiel Elliott, who, of course— is the most controversial player but maybe the most important player for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, he was a top-five pick, part of the 2016 draft, right? So, he played 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019 will be his fourth year, and 2020 will be his fifth-year option, uh, which the Cowboys have already... Exercised. Uh, Now, again, that's not guaranteed for contract, that is guaranteed for injury. But the bottom line is this um, just before we go too deep in the woods here, Ezekiel Elliott is basically threatening to hold out during training camp, of which he can hold out of training camp and he can think he's due a contract and a big contract uh, and they can make some progress. uh, But He wants his contract extension done now and at the price that he wants. And to me, I think that's absurd. He's got two years left on his deal. He has been in constant trouble um, one way or the other, whether it's his fault or not. But he's always in the middle of something. The most recent example, the Las Vegas um, security guard incident, there is always something to worry about when it comes to Ezekiel Elliott. Oh, and by the way, he plays in a position that has a short shelf life. The Cowboys, according to all of the reporting that has been done between Yahoo and Pro Football Talk, are open to talking to Ezekiel Elliott about a long-term deal. But of course, they also have other priorities, such as, again, Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper who both play at positions that are considered more important and with a longer shelf life. So, according to Yahoo, the talks between the Cowboys and Elliott, they're not, while they're at an impasse, they're not at a apparently a crisis point where there's a point of no return, uh, where really it, it's a lot of bad blood, nor should there be. I mean, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you can't afford to pay Ezekiel Elliott top-shelf money for a guy that you can't count on, quite honestly, at a position of diminishing returns. So, you know, basically, I wouldn't expect Ezekiel Elliott to report to Oxnard, California, for the start of training camp. He could sit out camp uh, and hope to pressure the Cowboys into something. Uh, He can sit out the early stages of camp, uh, but I guess he's got to be in by August 6th, which would again as a non-vested veteran would allow him to get a fourth accrual of season which keeps him again on pace for free agency not after this upcoming season but after his fifth season meaning after 2020 and the fifth year option or he can simply report to camp be a good soldier and try and do the right thing and you know practice football play football and get his contract extension, assuming that they can work out the deals. Those are basically the issues I would fully expect Ezekiel Elliott to hold out and to not return to Dallas Cowboys camp or to not show up to Dallas Cowboys camp until August 5th, or maybe even again on August 6th. That's my expectation. I could be wrong on that, but either way, I think it's going to be a really interesting situation uh, to watch not only For the Cowboys when it comes to Ezekiel Elliott, but also for the Cowboys when it comes to Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. And my guess is they get a long-term deal done with Dak Prescott first, then they try and work on Cooper who, again, they could franchise tag if they really need to uh, after this upcoming year, Uh, but they would like to, I think, get a long-term deal done, and then they could still, again, kind of force Elliott's hand with two more years of control and then still franchise him in 2021. So really, they hold all the cards, and if the Cowboys are smart, and I'd like to believe that they— know what they're doing. They built a pretty good roster that they will take care of Dak Prescott and they'll overpay him because he's a quarterback and he's provided stability and, um, and intelligence. And he's also, he, he also is, is durable. He's dependable, uh, which is all the things that You know, a quarterback should be, you know, like Kirk Cousins. Um, And and the Redskins didn't want to pay for that. Well, the Cowboys will pay for that. uh, And the Cowboys will probably choose that and Amari Cooper and then again force Ezekiel Elliott's hand. This is not going to end well for Ezekiel Elliott long term with the Dallas Cowboys. I can tell you that much. All right. That's going to do it for us on this episode of the Locked on Redskins podcast. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for enduring uh, a little bit long on the Redskins stadium tango. I'm fascinated by it. Uh, because, again, it is complicated, and without making it overly political, the Redskins are running out of time and options and situations, but I probably spent a little bit too long on that and maybe short chains the defensive line and Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, We'll get into the Cowboys' offensive unit. We'll get into the Redskins' offensive side of the ball on the next episode of the Locked on Redskins podcast. For now, this is episode number 267. Thanks for being with us. Adios.